only at the tower can you go from being caught up to euphoria with God and then brought back down through some gospel hip hop. Amen. The song said God is the one who was, who is, and is to come. And when he wrapped himself in human flesh, as the rapper Flame declared, Jesus did walk with the ladies. We're in a new series right now. Women who help to expand God's diverse kingdom. Because what God is doing and going to do through Strong Tower to fulfill our vision of experiencing, explaining, and expanding God's diverse kingdom. It will involve me pouring into other leaders, not only ones who are in this church, but outside this church, people who lead churches of like kind and like mind, church planting, but also empowering and utilizing women in a way that we never have before as the church. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the body of Christ, which is the local church that we can be together in you, with you, for you, and because of you. And we can go out and serve in your name. What does we think even of those we serve in this community, that they know who we are, we know who they are. As we go meet felt needs and feed those who are hungry, clothe those who are naked, even visit those who are in prison, those who are sick, we thank you that we get to do it to be the hands and feet and even the mouth of Jesus. Now, Lord, at this time, as I do my best to try to speak on your behalf, I know you don't need me, but I thank you that you will use me. Lord, if you could use a donkey to speak in the Old Testament, I, I think you can use me. Here I am, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Fill your people with your spirit and might we leave here better equipped to be salt and light in the world. We need this information that I'm about to share. But if you don't breathe on it, it's just that information. So with the information, please bring revelation and illumination to open up blinded minds and eyes and even sometimes where we're fixed, where you're wanting us to flow. Do the work, please. We'll be so very careful to give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory. For we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2? 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I want to ask you a question because this is Strong Tower Bible Church. 
We don't worship the Bible, but we know that we cannot worship God apart from the Bible. Because the Bible, the scriptures reveal to us the nature of God, the person of God, the mind of God, the will of God. It also reveals to us what the will for God's people is supposed to be. And we were created to worship him because the father is looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus once said to a group of people listening to him in John chapter 8, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. He went on to say that you are really my disciples if you hold to my teaching. We can't be a student of Jesus if we're not in the word of Jesus. So we're here to learn. But when you read the Bible, I have a question I want to ask you. When you read the scriptures, something that was written thousands of years ago, when you read it in today's culture, are you overly literal or are you thoughtfully objective? Are you overly literal when you read the Bible or are you thoughtfully objective? Now, the Bible is the word of God, but we need wisdom in how to apply it because sometimes we can look up and see that people have started movements because of misinterpreting the Bible and those movements weren't to uplift people, they were to oppress people, enslave people, hurt people. And they would say it was the Bible that told them to do that. When Jesus came, according to Luke 4, to set people free. But some people who read and interpret the Bible use the Bible to enslave, oppress, kill other people. Because they take passages out of context or they are overly literal. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, when Jesus is talking about lust, for man lusts after a woman he's committed adultery with her in his heart the pharisees wanted to talk about the law i haven't committed adultery by way of the law but jesus would say let's go deeper than the law let's get to the spirit of the law have you committed adultery in your heart by lusting yes guilty is charged so if you're right I offend you, gouge it out, pluck it out. Now, if someone hears Jesus back then and, or they read Jesus now and they have an overly literal approach to scripture, they're going to go out and take their eyes out, literally. But I hope we know that's not what he meant. Hopefully we approach the text in a thoughtful and objective way by utilizing what is called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a word that simply means that there is an art and a science to interpreting the Bible. There's a way to read it. There's a way to interpret it. And with the help of God, we can apply it. So within hermeneutics, this way of interpreting the Bible, there's a thing called exegesis. 
And exegesis is when you read the Bible and pull truths out of it. The plain sense of the text comes out as you observe it. Eisegesis is when we read things into the Bible that aren't there. So exegesis, I want to exegete the text. In order to do that, there are certain things I have to consider. It's kind of like looking at a glacier, looking at an iceberg. What you see is not all there is. Because the largest part of an iceberg is under the water. The part you can't see. And when you read the Bible, sometimes we, we say, oh, I see it, but have we gone under the water, if you will, to use tools that we can look at what was going on culturally in that day? What was going on in the immediate context of that passage, the broader context of the chapter, the broader context of the book, the broader context of the whole counsel of the word of God? Oh, it takes work now. So let me also look at uh, the Bible was written in other languages, Aramaic, Hebrew and Greek. Oh boy, so let me grab some books to help me understand these languages because when you look at the Bible, it's full of grammar and tenses of verbs and, and it's colorful language. And when you look at the Bible, there are literary devices, simile, which is metaphor, uh, romance, sarcasm, wisdom literature, prophecy. So it, it, it's a book that, that, that underneath what you see, there's so many things we have to consider from the language to the culture, to the history, to the context, to the literature. Because when Jesus is saying, pluck your eye out, this is hyperbole to get your attention on how serious this is. And each hearer steps away to say, what must I do in a practical way? gouge my eye out so that I'm not lusting? How do I cut my hand off so that my hand is not touching what does not belong to me? Hyperbole to get our attention. But if you are overly literal, then that means we all going to be walking around here with both eyes gouged out, both hands cut off. And nothing about utilizing hermeneutics is that the best interpreter of scripture is scripture. So if I'm reading a passage and it just doesn't seem real clear to me, let me go to a parallel passage to try to gain understanding on the passage that doesn't seem too clear to me. Because there are no contradictions in God. And since the Bible comes from God, it's God-breathed, that means there are no contradictions in the Bible. But if I sense there's a contradiction, the contradiction is not with God, it's not with his word, it's with me. So how do I study to show myself approved, a worker that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, as opposed to being overly literal and taking one verse to try to make it say something to support my agenda, my biases, my preferences, my prejudices, my traditions, my denomination, my comforts. That's not someone who is after sound doctrine. Titus chapter 2. That, that's someone 
who's propagating lies. Because even the devil quoted scripture. The devil took scripture out of context. So we not only need to know what is written, we need to know what is written in its right context. So being thoughtfully objective, it means I got to recognize figures of speech and I've got to do extra biblical research. There are people who just like digging in dirt. They're called archaeologists. And if it weren't for them, there's so much we would not know about the days of antiquity. Because through their discoveries, they're able to confirm things that are written in the Bible. When they find inscriptions, when they find statues, when they find uh, towns laid out because they, again, they've done the research, they're digging and they write about it and they research and God is able to confirm the things we read about through archaeology. So that means sometimes in order to understand the Bible, I got to leave the Bible and read books that confirm the Bible. Because when Paul talks about in just one verse, baptism for the dead. We don't know what that means. But the Mormons will use that along with all the other things that they believe in errantly and build a whole thing around baptism for the dead. What was going on that would lead Paul to say something like that and only say it one time and only say it to that church? That's called being a student of exegesis and being a student of hermeneutics. Ah, So as we look at our text today, one that I've seen people use overly literal on some parts. Because men especially have a way of choosing when they want to be literal and when they want to be flexible. Men have that privilege to do hopscotch with the Bible. I'm overly literal with this, but I'm loose on that. Yeah. But if somebody else comes along with a different perspective from yours, you're saying that they don't know the Bible. Yeah, 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 yeah. First Timothy chapter two, beginning at verse eight. He starts the chapter talking about prayer, man. We need to pray for those who are in leadership, those who are in governmental authority. He comes down to verse 8 and he says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Stop and pause. Are we going to be overly literal right here? That every time you pray, you got to lift your hands up. Now, I know some churches, some denominations, men will not lift their hands no matter what. Because that's what them Pentecostals, those charismatics do. Even though there are so many admonitions in scripture about lifting your hands before the Lord, there's some men because they can't humble themselves in the presence of God and lift their hands. They think everybody looking at them, ain't nobody looking at you. We got our eyes on the Lord. But if I'm to take this overly literal, that means I'm to lift my hands every time I pray. I'm praying in my car. Man, you better put your hands on that wheel. (laughs) Then he says praying without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. Amen. Women have a responsibility, but let's not forget men have a responsibility as well. So often women are told, you got to dress modestly. Uh But don't forget, brothers, gouge your eye out. But then he 
going to go a little deeper with it. And he says, women, when you dress moderately, not with braided hair. Stop. Does this mean a woman can't braid her hair? Because if that's the case, we got a whole lot of folk in here right now guilty. <laughs> then he says, uh, or gold. Oh, boy. Fake gold counts, too. Or uh, <laughs> costly clothing. So if I'm overly literal, that means women can't come to church with braided hair, wearing gold, or wearing costly clothes. Oh, no, it doesn't mean that. Well, use that flexibility as we keep working ourselves down this text. Because there's a principle to be gained as opposed to a law to be enforced. Again, I'm trying to be a sound, thoughtful expositor of scripture. But it's amazing how men in particular jump back to some kind of legalism when they feel threatened about women and their role in ministry. He goes on to say in verse 10, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So overly literal. Women can't talk in church. Women have to be silent in church. Okay. Verse 14. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Yes, she was deceived. Next week, we're going to break that part down. Because yes, she was deceived, but Adam knew exactly what he was doing when he disobeyed God. He don't get a pass. Because I'm interpreting scripture with all of scripture. For by one man, sin entered into the world. It doesn't say by one man and one woman, his wife, sin came. Yeah, she was deceived, but he knew what he was doing. Verse 15, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. Can't wait to talk about this next week. Some of us grew up in churches where women were told the best thing you can do is be a wife who can have children. The way you honor your husband is by giving him children. Some of us grew up in churches like that and de denominations like that. That a woman's highest purpose was to be a wife and bear children. Is that what he's saying here? Because what do you do when a woman is not married? What do you do when a woman is married but can't have children? Is she not saved in childbearing? And by the way, I thought we were saved by the blood of Jesus. So if I don't ask what's going on in the culture and in the context, I can't walk away with a sound interpretation of scripture. But if I'm overly literal, I can use this on face value and beat some people up with it. Then he goes on in verse 12, because I got to focus on verse 12. Go back to verse 12. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, if we're overly literal with that. Strong Tower has been out of order for 28 years. Because women are not silent in this church. Women teach in this church. And there are women who have authority where they serve and lead men in this church. 
So, Paul, what is going on here? Well, before I tell you what I believe Paul is saying, let me tell you what I believe this brother is not saying. First thing is he's saying he is not saying a woman cannot teach. But if you just look at it again on face value, I do not allow or permit a woman to teach. So if you stop right there, is that what he's saying? That's ex not what he's saying. Because Titus 2, 3, the same guy said to the women, he says the women are to be teachers of good things. So he's not saying a woman cannot teach. He's also not saying a woman cannot teach a man. Again, I open my prayer talking about, Lord, if you can speak through a donkey, you can speak through me. But there are some men who would rather hear the word of God from a donkey than from a woman. Are you that insecure, brother? That a woman can't teach you the word of God? Well, the Bible lets me know that Lois, the grandmother, and Eunice, the mother, taught Timothy the faith through the Holy Scriptures, Old Testament. That's all they had back then. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, and 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. She may have been raising a son on her own. Timothy may have had a Greek father, but he definitely had a Jewish God-fearing mother and grandmother, and they made sure they raised him in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And then when they saw Paul coming, they were like, ooh, he, he can have a man in his life now to take him further than we can take him as women because there's some things a man needs to teach a man about God and on and on and on. But they raised that boy. They taught him. Paul is not saying that a woman cannot teach a man about God. Priscilla and her husband Aquila taught Apollos, the preacher from Africa, the gospel. I'm in the book, Acts chapter 18, verse 26. The Bible says the two of them took Apollos aside and taught him the word of God. He knew some things about the word. He knew about John's ministry, John's baptism. He didn't know the gospel, the good news, what John was trying to lead people to. They taught him because Paul had taught Priscilla and Aquila. So don't you say that a woman cannot teach a man about God. That's ridiculous. And don't you say that a woman cannot teach a man about God in church? Paul is not saying that. In our culture, especially here in the West, and with what Constantine did back in around 313, where he made Christianity the state religion, churches moved out of houses and now into buildings that were once dedicated to pagan gods. Now Christians are in those places. And we have this thing of saying, well, a woman can teach outside the church. She can't teach inside these four walls. Are you crazy? I thought the church wasn't where we meet. The church is who we are. Because there are churches around the world, especially persecuted parts of the world. Last week was persecuted church Sunday. Their church is meeting outdoors. Their church is meeting in caves. They don't have air conditioning. They don't have pews. They're no less of a church than Strong Tower Bible Church is on Granny White Pike. It's not the building. It's the people. And in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, women were ministering apart from church buildings. 
But anyway, just so you need a scripture, I'll give you one. Can a woman teach a man? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians 11.5, Paul says, every woman who prays or prophesies. Prophesy, I'm proclaiming a message about God to the people of God, about things in the future and things in the present in authority. I'm prophesying. Why? Because God said through Joel, I'm going to pull up, pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Well, where's she going to prophesy at? Because prophecy is for the edification of the church. But no, 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 she, mm -mm, no. Some churches, she can't even walk behind this pulpit. And I wonder... When I see churches with all these steeples on top of them, again, God never called for a building. He surely never called for a steeple. But if you go back into some history, the steeples represent the male sex organ. We got the bigger steeple. This pulpit has become like the male organ where, where only we can be up here. You're that weak and insecure. Okay. I'm going somewhere. Paul said a woman can pray and prophesy. Can I let you know something? When a woman prays in church, when a man prays in church, you're learning theology. You're learning about God. A lot of us know how to pray because we sat with older people who prayed. My mother prayed for me, had me on her mind. She took the time to pray for me. We learned to pray how they address God. Because when they talk to God and call him master, strong God, we learn who God is through prayers. But a woman, is she supposed to be silent in the church? But wait a minute, Paul, you said she can pray over here and prophesy over here, be silent over there. There's no contradictions in the Bible. Well, maybe the contradiction is in how I'm interpreting this. So let me interpret scripture with scripture. Because maybe what's going on when Paul was writing 1 Timothy, it was something that was unique for that setting and it was not meant to be, as Elder Aubrey said in the elders meeting last week, standard operating procedure for every church in every era in every area. Church ain't Chick-fil-A. You go to a Chick-fil-A in Mississippi, go to a Chick-fil-A in California, go to a Chick-fil-A in New York. Man, they all the same, uh, and they greet you the same way. My pleasure and all that stuff. But the move of God, you can't franchise. The church of God, you can't cookie cut. Because if every church was to operate under the same standard of operating procedures, every church would look the same, be the same, sound the same. But y'all know that's not true. Because apparently there's freedom in how the church, the body, is to play out on local levels. Mm. My people, we learned about God through the prayers and the songs of our ancestors. They would talk about swing low, sweet chariot. We couldn't read, but we could understand about God through the songs and the prayers that were prayed. And it just wasn't the men singing and praying. Paul is not saying a woman cannot teach. He's not saying a woman cannot teach a man. He's not saying a woman cannot teach a man about God. A woman cannot teach a man about God in church. And once again, he's surely not saying a woman cannot speak in church. 
Because we just saw some instances where women pray and prophesy. Another one is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, after he talks about being filled with the Spirit. He then says to the church at Ephesus, we read the Bible in the West, we individualize. Like, he was just writing to me. That's that American, selfish, capitalistic, meritocracy kind of mess. We miss community because we're so self-centered. No, he's writing to a people group. So before you make it personal with your little daily devotion, try to get in your mind corporate, family, community. And he says in verse 19 of Ephesians 5, after being filled with the Spirit, he's talking to individuals and the body. He says, uh, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and what? Spiritual songs. But if a woman's supposed to be silent, oh, she can't worship God in the church? She can't sing in the church? She can't sing the hymns and learn theology in the church? And she can't get up here and lead worship? No, no, that's not what we mean, Pastor. Then what do you mean? Because you're over literally, over literal over here, but flexible over here. There's a dead monkey on the line somewhere. That's what the old folks say when stuff ain't right. It just ain't coming out. It... So before we see what Paul is saying, let's dig a little deeper into the cultural background in Ephesus. Chapter 1, verse 3 He's writing to Timothy, and he's like, I left you in Ephesus. So that's where he is, Ephesus, one of the chief cities of Asia Minor. I left you there to set some stuff in order. Ephesus, that's important to know that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. And in Ephesus, there was a cult of a goddess named Artemis. Are you with me? Artemis is the Greek goddess of the hunt. She's the goddess of of wild animals. She's the goddess of chastity and childbirth. She could not only heal people, but she could also cause people to die suddenly. She was also the goddess of young women. So peep game on this, y'all. She was the daughter of Zeus. As Zeus cheated on his wife Hera with another woman. Hera said, you can't deliver that child up here on Mount Olympus. So you got to go to the earth and deliver this child. Well, the woman goes, I can't remember her name right now, but she has twins. The first person to come out is Artemis. Artemis then comes and assists her mother in delivering her brother Apollo or Apollos. And so that's where she gets this moniker of helping women in childbirth. Next week, I'm going to drop a little bit more on she will be saved in childbirth because it was believed in that culture that if Artemis was helping you, you would deliver a baby without dying because, you know, women die in childbirth, especially in that era when there was not as much technology and medicine and advancement. Women die today with all that stuff. And so back then, Artemis would help you through childbirth. So Artemis was like the one that people were looking to. But Artemis also had wrath about her. And that was well known. She was chaste. She was a virgin. And she didn't like people beholding her nude body. And so there's a story told. In all of the Greek stories, there are so many. 
that she's bathing and someone stumbles upon her in this cave as she's bathing with her maidens. They see her nudity and boy, she, she gives it to that person, turns them into an animal. So as much as she's chaste, she's very beautiful. And so she would have a quiver and gold in her hair, a quiver of arrows and all of that stuff. And so the culture, the culture, the culture, they believed in Artemis. And she harshly punished people who crossed her. And listen to this. Women who followed Artemis were given permission to act like wild animals, i.e. bears. Meet a bear robbed of its cubs. You're in trouble. So if you're following Artemis, you're a woman who's setting her own path. And you can also be violent when you need to be. Well, let's keep going. The Roman version of Artemis is Diana. Artemis is the Greek name. Diana is the Roman name. So when the Romans took over from the Greeks, they would take the pantheon of gods and just give them Roman names. So Artemis became Diana, and Diana can be found surrounded by her chase band of nymphs, which are also known as Amazons. Artemis or Diana is an independent woman who doesn't need men. Which is why she stays single. And not that if you get married, it's because you need a man. But that was part of what was being communicated. You don't need men. But Paul is going to say in 1 Corinthians that a man is not independent of a woman. A woman is not independent of a man. They're to be interdependent when things are healthy. But let me, let, let me mess with you a little bit. I'm a Marvel Comics guy. That's right. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. There may be a couple of backsliders in here who like DC Comics. But DC has an Amazon named Diana who is created by Zeus, raised around Amazons and doesn't need a man. Has all this power. And so think of that now. In Artemis, or rather, excuse me, in Ephesus, there's the temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Diana was worshipped in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, verse 27. So when Paul goes into Ephesus, people are coming to Christ, and when they come to Christ, they're burning their magic scrolls. They're getting rid of witchcraft and all of this Hellenism and worship of Greek gods, Greek mythology, they're coming to Jesus. But people didn't like that because as they were picking up Christ, they were putting down their idols. And one of those idols were shrines that they built to Artemis that they could take home and put in their house that maybe rivaled the actual temple that was there. There were silversmiths who made these things. You could take it with you. But when people come to Christ, they were getting rid of that stuff. And the silversmith said, now you're messing with our money. Paul is around here talking about the true God is not a God made by hands. We know we make our God right up there as we smelt it with the silver. We know we make our God. Paul talking about God can't be made with hands. He messed with our money, so now we got to mess with him. A riot broke out in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19. 
Verse 34 of Acts 19, they start chanting for two hours, great is Diana of Artemis. Great is Artemis of Ephesus for two hours, for two hours, because they felt threatened. And that is the context of when he writes 1 Timothy. So don't you come to me talking about what you believe 1 Timothy 2 says if you don't know anything about Artemis and Diana and the culture of what was going on in Ephesus. Wait, I, I didn't say that clear enough. If you don't know anything about Artemis, Diana, the cult that was there, if your research and interpretation of 1 Timothy 2 doesn't involve that stuff, don't you dare come to me talking about what Paul meant in 1 Timothy 2. You come to me talking about what you mean from 1 Timothy chapter 2. So are we being thoughtfully objective or are we being overly literal? Well, in verse 12, here it is. Here's the key to understanding this passage in addition to cultural background. He says, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. The key to understanding this is looking at those words to have authority over. To have authority over because in the Greek language, it's one word. That translators translated into various languages, namely English for us, taking that one word in the Greek and translating it. Now, let me say this too. This word is used only one time in the Greek New Testament. And it's used right here in this verse. So it is a unique word. It is not a common word, but it's a very powerful word. So this one word in the Greek that's translated to have authority over, it basically means to exercise illegitimate power. It means to dominate. It means to take authority from, to have authority over. I think the King James says to usurp, usurp, which takes us to Jacob and that term with his name, supplant, to steal, to take something by trickery, but in this case, to take something by force, to overthrow legitimate power, to dethrone, to commandeer, to seize by force. To take. So don't come to me telling me what 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12 says if you haven't done any research on this word usurp. Because what's going on here? Paul is saying a woman can teach God's word in the church based on all these other scriptures we looked at. But she can do it when she doesn't have an attitude or a motive of taking authority over a man. What's Artemis about? I don't need a man. I'm over a man. And it might be because she has a father wound from Zeus who won't really accept her as his daughter. So she's like, I don't need him. I don't need nobody. Sound like a lot of sisters that's on your job, right? You've been hurt. So you hurt other people. Your trust has been violated, so you don't trust nobody. It's the attitude of the teacher that Paul is dealing with, not the act of teaching. Let me say it again. 
It's the attitude of the teacher, not the act of teaching. Now, while I'm here, I'm going to drop this in for free. It's just not women you got to watch out for who want to take authority from. There's some jack black preachers around here that when they visit churches, they think that you're supposed to roll out a red carpet for them because some of them are plotting and scheming to take the church. That's why you can't lay hands on anybody suddenly. Because the sins of some men are obvious. Other folks sin trail behind. So we don't have no stage where we just invite all the ministers to come sit up front. I just don't have any and every minister who come in, come up here, pray, and get the microphone. I don't know you. I don't owe you nothing. But there's a lot of dudes who have this sense of entitlement. And by the way, when Paul calls for the elders of the Ephesian church in Acts chapter 20, he says, now when I leave here, watch out. There are going to be some savage wolves who are going to come up in this church and try to tear it apart. He says, I'm telling you before it happens so you know what I'm telling you is true. But we're so busy watching for the sisters that these wolves and sheep's clothes are coming up in here. Paul is saying, 1 Timothy 2.13 is concerned with the attitude of a woman teacher, not the act of a woman teaching. Paul is saying when a woman is rightly aligned under God, when she's rightly aligned under Jesus, when she's rightly aligned under her husband, if she's married, because not every woman is married, because Paul is going to say being single, man, there are advantages to being single. Mm-hmm. So, so we're not just going to say again, if sister got to be married. No, no. She's aligned under God, unto Jesus. And in her church, she's aligned under her pastor. Alignment. You can't be over if you're not willing to be under. You can't usurp and just take. No, that's what the devil did. He's trying to take what doesn't belong to him. Ah, but when she's in alignment, Doc, she can function freely in her oratorical and leadership gifts because she's in alignment. Just like the senior pastor is in alignment. I'm under God. I'm also accountable to a group of men who hold me accountable. I'm also submitted to God the Father, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11.10 says that a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Now, he's talking about uh, putting head coverings on your head in 1 Corinthians. Was he being overly literal, or are we supposed to get a message from that about what it means? Because don't none of y'all got a head covering on. Some of y'all come from churches. Got to have that thing on top. Okay. And you can still be rambunctious with that thing right there. <laughs> Pastor can't tell you nothing. Deacons can't tell you nothing. But you got the doily on. It's the attitude. Oh, yeah. Uh, where the security? I need the security. Get me out of here. To sum things up, here it is, y'all. A woman can teach God's word in the church to men when she doesn't have an attitude or a motive of usurping or taking authority over men. We'll talk next week about the whole thing. Why is he bringing up Adam and Eve? Because back in Genesis, he talks about after the woman has fallen into sin, she's going to have a desire to want to be over her husband. 
because she can do this better than him. But no, you will be under your husband. So there's a desire. I want to be over. No, you're going to be under. So we'll talk about that next week. Some things up. First Timothy 2.13 is concerned with the attitude of a woman teacher and not the act of a woman teaching. And then thirdly, when a woman is rightly aligned under proper authority, she can function freely in her oratorical gifts and her leadership gifts. Can somebody say amen? amen. That's right. And that's what we've tried to live by since this church began. We're just going to another place with this now, a deeper level. Well, on February 10th, 2007, Barack Obama announced he was going to run for president of the United States of America. And after he wins his party's nomination, and he has to come up with a slogan, and the slogan is, yes, we can. If you go to the Museum of African American History in Washington, D.C., they have this plastered in an area with memorabilia from that time and of the Obama family Yes, we can. And it became a rallying cry around the country. And in time, after all of the debates and after all of the voting, Barack Obama not only won, but he made history as the first African-American to ever be elected as president of the United States of America. Yes, we can. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I, we went to the inauguration, the first one. We were fortunate to go to the second one as well to see history played out right in front of us. It was amazing. Yes, we can. And yes, we did. So as I close on this sermon entitled, Can She or Can't She? My answer is, yes, she can. Yes. She can. Pastor Chris, can a woman help Israel by hiding two spies like Rahab did? Yes, she can. Can a woman prophesy to the two spies like you preached last week, like Rahab did? Yes, she can. Can a woman lead Israel as a judge and still seek to honor a man like Deborah did with Barak? Yes, she can. Can a woman be a prophetess like Miriam, Deborah, Huldah, Anna, and Isaiah's wife? Yes, she can. Can a woman see and speak to an angel like Mary did? Yes, she can. Can a woman prophesy like Anna did to Mary? Yes, she can. Can a woman prophesy like Elizabeth did to Mary? Yes, she can. Can a woman be filled with the Holy Spirit like Elizabeth was? Yes, she can. Can a woman give birth to the Messiah like Mary did? Yes, she can. Can a woman be a shepherdess like Rachel and make it possible for other women to be shepherds? So therefore, when the shepherds showed up when Jesus was born... Maybe one or two of them were women on that night when Jesus was born. Can she do it? Yes, she can. Can a woman help to finance the ministry of Jesus and the apostles? Yes, she can. Can a woman evangelize men like the woman at the well did? Yes, she can. You see, there are more cans in the scripture than can'ts in the scripture. 
Can a woman sit at the feet of Rabbi Jesus like Mary did? Yes, she can. Can a woman get a word from Jesus like Martha did about the resurrection? Yes, she can. Can a woman anoint Jesus for his burial like Mary did? Yes, she can. Can a woman stand at the cross of Jesus like Mary, his mother, Mary's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene did? Yes, she can. Can a woman show up early on Sunday morning at the tomb of Jesus and see him first? Yes, she can. Can a woman see angels at the tomb of Jesus? Yes, she can. Can a woman get instructions from Jesus to proclaim to male apostles? Yes, she can. Can a woman pray with the 120 disciples in the upper room? Yes, she can. Can a woman be in the upper room with the apostles on the day of Pentecost? Yes, she can. Can a woman get filled with the Holy Spirit like the apostles did? Yes, she can. Can a woman go to the streets and proclaim the one of God like the men did. Yes, she can. Can a woman preach the gospel in all the world like it says in Mark 16, 15? Yes, she can. Can a woman make disciples of all nations like it says in Matthew 28, 19? Yes, she can. Can a woman open her home to the apostles like Lydia did? Yes, she can. Can a woman like Priscilla teach a man like Apollos alongside of her husband Aquila? Yes, she can. Can a woman sing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs in church? like it says in Ephesians 5.19. Yes, she can. Can a woman carry and deliver the scriptures like Phoebe did to the Romans? Yes, she can. Can a woman read the scriptures aloud like Phoebe probably did when she got to the church? Yes, she can. Can a woman serve as a deacon minister like Phoebe did? Yes, she can. Because the same word used for Phoebe is also used of the Apostle Paul. Some like to say she was a deacon, but that word literally means minister. So don't you get mad at me because I'm ordaining women to be ministers of the gospel. I'm just being biblical and I'm following what the Bible says. Can a woman labor in the gospel like Trophina and Trophosa did? Yes, she can. Can a woman like Junia be one be of note among the apostles? Yes, she can. Can a woman disciple her son Timothy like Eunice did? Yes, she can. Can a woman have a church meet in her house like Nympha and Priscilla did? Yes, she can. Can a woman use her gift of pastor to serve as a pastor under the leadership of a male senior pastor? Yes, she can. Because if God is going to give the gift and his gifts are not gender based, then man had better give the title when God gives the gift of pastor to a woman. Can a woman use her gift? Y'all got quiet. Can a woman use her gift of teacher to serve as a teacher under the leadership of a male senior pastor? Yes, she can. I'm tired, but there's still more to go. Can a woman be a part of a chosen generation and a royal priesthood like it says in 1 Peter chapter 2? Yes, she can. So in the Old Testament, women weren't priests. But under the New Covenant, women can be priests, which means they can go and minister freely to God. They don't need nobody to go for them. They can go by themselves to God. Can a woman judge fallen angels like we see in 1 Corinthians 6, 3? Yes, she can. Can a woman be listed in the hall of faith like Sarah and Rahab? Yes, she can. Can a woman be an heir of God like we see in Romans 8, 17? Yes, she can. Can a woman be a joint heir with Jesus like we see in Romans? Yes, she can. Can a woman be a priest of God in heaven like we see in Revelation 5, verse 10? Yes, she can. Can a woman reign on the earth with Jesus? 
Jesus like we see in Revelation 5.10. Yes, she can. Can a woman stand and fall before the throne of God with the 24 elders? Yes, she can. Can a woman be a part of the army of heaven, clothed in fine linen, riding on white horses, following Jesus when he returns? Yes, she can. Can a woman one day hear from the Lord? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Yes, she can. There are more cans in the Bible than there are can'ts in the Bible. I choose to focus on the cans and not the can'ts. And when the can'ts come, I put them in context of the cans. Is anybody with a brother up in here? Yes, she can. Yes, she can. Yes, she can. We're expanding, church, which means things are going to change a little bit. But like the email I sent to you, let's be Bereans who are going to study. But let's also be wineskins that are flexible. Because if you're rigid and formed, all this new wine is going to make you burst. While I was preaching, I, hear, I heard bursting all through the sanctuary. But I also heard some stretching. I heard some stretching, some growing. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Jesus. As I told my wife, I'm where I am right now because of what I have seen in Jesus with new eyes. I'm not here to be expedient or politically correct. I've never been like that. I'm here very much like Bernard was in those waters. There's transformation happening. I'm seeing Jesus like I've never seen Jesus before. I'll take that. I want more of Jesus and I want to be more like Jesus who could honor order in the family, honor order in civilization, and honor women like no other rabbi ever did in his day. I want to be like Jesus and not succumb to fear of man or tradition. I want to be like Jesus. And I thank you for the women in this church the three we're talking about, but also so many in the pew who are making a difference. Last week we heard there was a need for men to come and help to deliver boxes in some of the more dangerous parts of town because right now it's only the women going. I thank you for the men who said, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Because a woman, Lord, I believe, married a single, widowed, old, young, as she submitted to the Lord, she loves to see men who are submitted to Jesus also. God, help us to submit ourselves to you, all of us. Help us to cheer for one another, support one another, pray for one another. My God, because it's not easy out here. We need each other. And for, for these three ladies who are stepping forward, I pray you're covering on them your grace on them. To pray for the elders, Lord, as we are sitting and talking and learning and researching and getting ready for a shift. 
Thank you that you give us unity without uniformity, that we can be one without being the same on every jot and tittle. Because Lord, when it comes down, each one of us want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Each one of us want to see your kingdom expand. We want this grace of the gospel to reach more and more and more and more people. And we thank you that we get to do this. So now unto our God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that's working in us, the church. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power right now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Got to hug a couple people before you leave. Amen. God bless you all.